Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm an alcoholic. Thank you all. Um, uh, I just want to say thank you right away uh, to the committee for asking me to speak. It's a great privilege to uh, share uh, the little bit of experience that I have, uh, the little, little bit of strength that I have, uh, and hopefully a little bit more hope that I have uh, with you guys. Um, thanks for everybody that coordinated this weekend. I've had a, a really great time, and I've got to meet a lot of uh, people from Indiana that pronounce words differently than we do in uh, Minnesota. <laughs> Uh, it's been a real privilege to, to hang with you guys this weekend, and uh, uh, I look forward to the rest of the time we have here. Um, so uh, so uh, I was told that I was supposed to speak on the 12 concepts for world service in order through the pamphlet itself, uh, so I'm just going to begin at the beginning. Uh, <laughs> illustrate it. Yeah, I'll, I'll show the pictures as we go through. Uh, it'll take about two and a half hours. Everybody knows that, right? I'm not serious. Um, so I'm going to share just a little bit about myself, uh, kind of what it was like, right? Uh, hopefully uh, my experience uh, is not meant to alienate but to uh, encourage people to um, look for similarities uh, you know, rather than differences. Uh, I'm tatted up, as Roger would say. Hopefully that's not a preventative uh, detail about my story. Um, everything I will say is hopefully not too opinionated, but it is, you know, are my opinions uh, and my experience in AA, not uh, what it says in the book necessarily. So uh, I can be taken with a grain of salt, perhaps. Um, so I just want to start off really quick. Uh, I got sober uh, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, or St. Paul, Minnesota. Uh, I got sober uh, in, a, in a detox clinic in uh, April of 2013. My sobriety date is April 16th, or uh, sorry, 2007. That's not, that is... That was wrong. That was wrong. Uh, this is being recorded, so I'll, uh, I'll hear about this later. Um, April 16th of 2007, um, I, uh, what? Anyway, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I got sober uh, in April of 2007. I was 16 years old. Um, I certainly had uh, many things to say about that, uh, as I'm sure other people that have gotten sober young have. Um, there are a lot of, of uh, experiences that I thought I needed to have or I uh, thought I shouldn't have or, or whatever, right? I, I was in the situation where I was presented with um, what, what I'll kind of explain as, as uh, kind of the, the end to my active alcoholism and the start to my recovery. Um, and it was a, a very con confusing time. Um, and, and I'll explain kind of how that how that all happened. But I got sober when I was 16, right? And uh, that's not everybody's experience, but it was my experience. Um, things fell uh, fell you know kind of into place for me in a way that I can't explain. I can't uh, attribute to uh, my own abilities, uh, my own um, ideas, and uh, and the result is I've not had to take a drink or a drug or any other mind-altering substance uh, in a little over six years. And for me, I'm very, uh, I'm very grateful for that. Um, so I, I grew up a uh, little blonde boy in uh, the suburbs of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, I've got some, some family members that, um, that like to drink, uh, just like I do. Um, the, the, we call them hard drinkers in our family. Um, I... Uh, 
neither of my parents uh, drank much when I was growing up, but the the uh, extended family on both sides, um, they they enjoy it very much, right? It's a, a, a social thing. It's a normal thing. It's a uh, everybody gets together, and there's uh, generally it's surrounding one particular uh, item, which is generally alcohol, right? There's there's definitely alcohol at most of our family get-togethers. It makes everybody a little bit friendlier for the first half of the night, and a little bit unfriendlier for the second half of the night. Um, sometimes it's the first third of the night or quarter of the night where people are happy, and then you know it gets worse from there on out. Um, but generally, uh, alcohol was around when I was growing up. Um, it, it wasn't really hard to find. Uh, there weren't a lot of drugs in my in my home when I was growing up, uh, or outside issues. We'll call them for for the rest of the night. Um, but I, I grew up with uh, with with heavy drinking and um, kind of this this i you know idea of it's just a normal thing for us. And and my parents weren't that way. My my mother had grown up in a uh, a quite abusive alcoholic home, and uh, and she didn't really drink. She had uh, a very you know good awareness of how. Uh, uh, Al-Anon worked, Alateen when she was younger, um, and she had kind of uh, gotten involved in that at a younger age and, and had dealt with that whole process with her mother. And, and so, uh, you know, she wasn't, wasn't a big drinker, wasn't afraid of it, but knew accurately what she was. Um, my father, not really a big drinker, uh, not really a big deal around that. Um, but the rest of my family, uh, we'd get together and, and have family get-togethers uh, that were uh, surrounded around alcohol. And my first drink that I ever had, I was, I, I believe I was 10 years old, um, just, you know, a late start for some people, uh, and, uh, but it was, you know, it was perfect timing for, for a guy like me. I, uh, I grew up, uh, not really feeling, uh, like I fit in, right? You guys know all about that, huh? Um, you know, feeling like I was terminally unique, maybe, uh, that's like the best place to be if you're an alcoholic is in these rooms if you're terminally unique, right? It's a room full of terminally unique individuals, so, uh, <laughs> So yeah, uh, I, I grew up in, and uh, I never really felt right. I had friends, I had uh, stuff going on around me that I, I liked to do. I had this kind of uh, obsession and fascination with rock and roll music and uh, you know guitar especially. I, I started playing guitar when I was young. Uh, and this, this kind of this lifestyle was you know, somewhat appealing to me, but I didn't necessarily uh, get involved in that right away. Uh, that kind of comes into my story a little bit later on. Um, but I had my first drink. I, was, I believe I was about 10 years old. Uh, it was on a family get-together. Uh, my entire mother's side of the, uh, the family got together. There's like 45 or 50 of us total with all cousins and, um, you know, second cousins and whoever else wanted to come and got invited. And um, it, was, uh, it was on this, uh, this family get-together, this, uh, this vacation. And uh, I, I remember... Like the rest of my family it was probably like nine or ten at night, and I was I was about ten years old, and I was with my brothers and my mom, and everybody kind of like started drinking, and, and at some point in the night, generally this is how it turns out is where it's everybody kind of has a few, and then the kids can start to have one or two, you know it doesn't really matter how old the kids are, uh, and that was you know fortunate for me or unfortunate if the rest of my story plays out, um, but I I, uh, I had my first drink, and it was some kind of. Uh, I don't even know exactly what it was, honestly. Uh, but I remember the, f- the feeling of that. And it was uh, the first time where I had felt where I could re- really relax, right? I mean, I was a 10-year-old kid. I didn't have any particularly, uh, you know, difficult responsibilities. I didn't have anything really, uh, no bills to pay at that point. Uh, you know, nothing really hanging on my, on my shoulders. But still, I felt this, like, tension, you know, and, and I can remember that, and it, it's something that had kind of persisted for quite a while. Uh, but that feeling 
immediately went away when I, when I took that first drink of alcohol. Uh, it wasn't very much, but it was enough to, to take the edge off, right? It was enough to, to kind of relax. Uh, it was the first time I had felt that. And, and so I had another and another, and I think I had like maybe three or four of these little, these little guys, and, uh, and, and then that was it. Uh, and I didn't drink again for, for, quite, for some time. Um, but I remember that, that experience very, very well. I remember the physical sensation. And this is, you know, what, 20, no, uh, 12. I can't count today, guys. I, numbers are so hard. Um, you know, it's uh, 12 or 13 years ago. But I remember the, physically, I remember that feeling, you know. And I and had dreamt about that feeling again and again after that. And uh, at the first opportunity that I had, it was uh, maybe a few months or a year or something after that, um, I had the opportunity to drink alcohol again, and I took it, and it was, it was you know exactly what I thought it was going to be. Again, it was it was great, and uh, and that was kind of how it worked. Is you know I was opportunistic at first. There wasn't a lot of alcohol that was available to ten and eleven year old kids. Um, it's it's not that easy to buy when you're ten and eleven years old. It seems, um, you know. So I uh, <clears throat> I started out drinking, uh, you know, when when it could when it came around, and I enjoyed that experience and. And each time I would seek out that, that same uh, physical feeling, but also that, that kind of uh, emotional s- sensation of, of feeling uh, at peace with something in myself that just wasn't right. There's just something in me that had never been, uh, had never been right. You know? And I've, I've heard that experience shared a lot in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and it was one of the first things that I related to when I came in, where people felt like, there's just something wrong with me. You know, I, missed the, I missed the boat, or I missed the book on how to live. You know, I hear that all the time, right? And it's true. It's true. I'm not. I'm not that you know that much different than anybody else. Like I have a very similar experience uh, when it comes to that. Um, so that kind of progressed. Uh, I started uh, junior high school. I, I don't know. Some people have high school starting in like seventh grade or something. We had junior high school where I was from. It was seventh through ninth grade, uh, and now that, that was like the glory days for me. Right? Um, it was. It was. Uh, it was cool. And uh, so it, it was like sixth or seventh grade, um, and I started kind of uh, being able to sneak liquor from my dad, and, and uh, my brother and I would come home after school, and we'd, we'd make these elaborate drinks, and it was always really fun, and my brother and I started bonding. Um, but I remember this, uh, this experience, was, it was different for him. You know, my, I, have an, I have an older brother. He's a few years older than me, and, and he would, you know, have a couple drinks, or we'd, we'd make a couple, like, milkshakes or whatever the heck we were thinking, you know, whatever, however creative we could be. And he would have a couple, and then, like, he would be totally fine with, like, all right, we're going to shut the jar, and then we're going to put it back under my bed, and uh, we're going to leave it alone until tomorrow. And that, that was, like, a, a, a physically troubling thing for me um, at a very young age. I had this, this, uh, this, this interesting reaction to alcohol. It, was, it wasn't exactly... Uh, noticeable at the time where I was like, I know I'm different than everybody else. You know, in every other way, I was different than everybody else. But in that particular sense, I didn't, I didn't know exactly what that meant. Um, and so that, that, was, uh, that was something that now, looking back in hindsight, I can recognize uh, that, that even from, from early on, something in my mind when it came to alcohol and it came to uh, the other outside issues that I, that I could talk about, um, there's something different about me. You know, something different that a lot of other people, uh, like we're sitting in the room with, can, can kind of relate to. Um, and so story goes on. Uh, you know, I started having a couple of, you know, maybe consequences of certain kinds. Um, you know, I had uh, some, some legal consequences, not many. You know, uh, I didn't have any, like, horrific uh, handcuff stories. I didn't get arrested a bunch of times. Like, whatever, right? I have... Um, 
you know, some, some physical problems that had developed, uh, definitely some emotional problems developed, right? Um, and then uh, what eventually started happening is people started intervening in my life in ways that uh, I didn't necessarily enjoy. Uh, I started having to go see doctors more often. I started having to, to go see uh, uh, psychiatrists more often. Um, you know, there were, there were uh, medications. There were types of therapy. There were uh, talks from family members who had gotten sober from one drug and, you know, stayed sober for a while off of that, you know, and I had a lot of people in my life that were interested in, in, in me, you know, for, for a while. Uh, the main, the main big, uh, big piece for me, though, was by the time that I got sober when I was 16 uh, in April, um, I'd kind of cut a lot of those ties. Um, I don't know if anybody else has that particular experience, but there were not a lot of people rooting for me at the end, you know, and I was 16, and that's, that's maybe not, you know, uh, Maybe not everybody has that experience. I had a couple people in my life that were still willing to answer the phone, um, even if they knew that they wouldn't be able to, like, listen to me when they did, right? Um, you know, it was my mother. She was still willing to, like, drive me to the doctor <laughs> or drive me to get a drug test, you know, especially. Um, stuff like that. Uh, and, then, uh, and then my older brother. Those were the two people that were still, like, on my side. That was, and that was about it. Uh, I had relationships that had ended, friendships that had ended, um, you know, what talks about in, in the book, uh, when, in Bill's story, when he talks about he made a, a host of fair-weathered friends. You know, that, was, that, that I related to very much. You know, I found people that drank like I did. Um, and eventually, even those people, they couldn't afford, like, you know, financially to hang out with me anymore. But it was also, uh, they couldn't um, afford emotionally to hang out with me anymore. You know, and uh, my friendships terminated in a row, as Bill would say, right? Is, you know, I, I got in fights, and, and, I, and I said things that were... Uh, they were not uh, not helpful, and, and <clears throat> I became a lone wolf. I remember when I read that for the first time, I was like, whoa, this guy gets it. Um, so, so long story short, uh, April comes around in, in 2007. Um, I had been experiencing full-blown alcoholism. I had some physical problems. Like I said, my body was not doing well. Uh, I was about 40 pounds underweight. I was 125 pounds when I got sober. I'm about 165 now. So it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I've fluctuated a little bit. I'm still young, so I feel like that's, you know, that's somewhat healthy. Um, but the big thing is, yeah, I, I mean, uh, there, were, there were consequences in some ways, but, but that's not really what made a big difference for me. Um, I was talking with a friend earlier, uh, you know, kind of about how when I walked in, um, you know, the stars aligned somewhat. You know, I think, you know, some people would call it, co- you know, uh, what, um, coincidence, Right? There's a lot of coincidences that happened right away. And um, so I just want to kind of go over my last like, day. And then you know, when I got into uh, or exposed to Alcoholics Anonymous, I, was, uh, I finally got honest with my, with my mother about the situation. I got honest with somebody and said, I physically can't stop drinking. I want to stop drinking, and I can't stop drinking. Um, I had tried a couple of different things. Um, you know, I had tried outside issues to get over the drinking that just led to drinking. Um, I had tried not drinking, and I got sick, uh, and so I kept drinking. And, and long story short, I got into a, a detox clinic in Minneapolis, um, and, uh, and I physically sobered up there. Uh, there's some, some legal stuff that got me in there as well, but I physically sobered up in this detox clinic, and I, I went to my first AA meeting when I was in there. Um, it was a, uh, a group that came from what's now my home group uh, on a Friday night. Uh, it was like six or seven uh, men from this men's meeting that I go to. Um, 
they came and shared their stories with us. And it was a bunch of uh, adolescents that were not trying to get sober, right? You know, was, people did not want to hear what they had to say. Uh, but I, I remember this one particular fellow. He was uh, this really big guy. Uh, he had a, a couple of really gnarly tattoos. Uh, I have a, another friend that's here that knows this guy, and so it's, it's great. And he was just – he's abrasive. This guy was very abrasive, and he was um, brutally honest to me in, the, in, the, in a way that was uh, – it was so refreshing – and it kind of hit me in a different way. Um, I mean, I had, I had people, like I said, interested parties in my life trying to tell me that I needed to get sober. I had frothy emotional appeal, right? I had so much of that. I had so many people that were like, you know, your life would be better if you didn't drink alcohol. You know, you'd do better in school if you didn't drink alcohol. You know, you, would, uh, you wouldn't you know, go to the hospital if you didn't drink alcohol. Um, you know, or, or, or people that, that wanted what was best for me, but there was some kind of outcome attached to it. And in walked, you know, seven men in Alcoholics Anonymous that had some time and were properly armed with facts about themselves. And they didn't really care what was going to happen after I got out. Not that they don't care about me as a person, but they had no control over what me as a sick and and physically dying alcoholic in a detox clinic was going to do when he got out of detox. They shared their experience with me and they said, you know, it's yours if you are willing to do it. Um... And it was so refreshing, you know. So many people had tried to, like, get something to happen. And, and for the first time, they didn't. Um, and something changed for me uh, when I was in there that, that, uh, that was enough to get me to contemplate, to get, you know, get me to think about being willing about going, in, going to another AA meeting. Um, and I got out of that detox clinic about 11 days later, um, and I went to a meeting uh, my mother had to drive me. Uh, it was outside of this uh, this this AA club in in St. Paul, Minnesota. It looks like a frat house. Do you guys have that ever? It was like really. It's this big house, lots of lights, lot of lots of twenty and thirty year olds smoking cigarettes. And uh, my mother drove me up to this meeting and and said, "You're not going in there. There's no way." <laughs> um, you know, but she had heard good things about it, and she let me go in. And I don't think I said a single word when I was in there. I was physically shaking, uh, not from, like, delirium tremens at this point, out of nervousness. And, uh, you know, I, I couldn't really, like, talk to people. I couldn't make eye contact. You guys know the deal. Um, but something, again, like, there's something that was, like, homey about that, that experience. And so I went to another meeting the next day. Um, and I went to another meeting after, after that. And then I, I, I went to this Tuesday night meeting. Um, it was this, uh, this club that's in a, a different part of St. Paul, and my mother dropped me off again. And, and they, they do this thing uh, at this meeting where they, they ask who has you know, a certain amount of time of sobriety, right? They ask, you know, who has less than 30 days? And I you know, didn't really want to, but I stood up. And uh, they assign service positions to people that have less than 30 days. <laughs> and I was the trusted servant, uh, trusted servant, servant pardon me. Uh, for the next three months for that group. And, and I didn't know what that meant, and I, I didn't know what it was going to uh, entail, and, and I didn't know what it was going to do to help me. Uh, but I honestly think that somebody saying, like, this, this guy, this guy that has less than 30 days needs this uh, sobriety commitment or this uh, service commitment more than the guy that has a year that's qualified. You know, and that, for me, I think uh, it did something that was, you know, remarkable. Um, so I got a sponsor pretty much right away. Uh, and then I got another sponsor after that, about three days later. Um, you know, but I, I walked through the, the first 164 pages uh, of the book with the sponsor. I did a fourth step pretty much right away. I didn't sit on it for three months. Uh, anybody that, you know, sits on a 
fourth step for three months isn't doing a fourth step for three months. You know, it doesn't, doesn't take that long for anybody. If you're, writing, if you're physically writing every day for three months, you've written a couple of novels at that point. <laughs> and you might want to start thinking about a career in it. Uh, so, uh, so I did a fourth step. It was, it was as honest as I could be. You know, there's, there's the four columns in the resentment portion of the, in the uh, inventory. And my first three columns were gigantic. And my fourth column was a little bit smaller, um, which, which at the time, you know, I was as honest as I could be. I was as open-minded as I could be. And I was still, like, so um, kind of fogged up from the, the, recent, um, the recent getting sober. I mean, getting sober is somewhat traumatic for, for people, right? I mean, it's really not, it's not an easy thing to do. And for me, it was, it was confusing. And there was a lot of stuff that kept, like, popping out, like emotions, um, and, uh, and it was very, you know, it was very confusing. And so I, I did what I could with that. Uh, I wrote a, a resentment, uh, inventory and then I worked through that with a sponsor and then I, I wrote a fear inventory and a sex inventory and, and I got some results out of that. Very honestly, I got some results. Uh, the drink obsession for me went away at that point. Uh, and so what I, d- I didn't necessarily understand when I first got in here and I want to clarify it is, uh, you know, I knew I was an alcoholic uh, after I started reading through the book. I don't know exactly, I didn't know exactly what alcoholism was when I got sober. I didn't, I didn't understand, like, the, the gravity of the situation, right? Like, I, I didn't understand that um, ultimately, unless something changes, I will drink again. That's, like, the, the, the short of it is, like, I will drink again unless something changes. There's nothing that stands in my way uh, when it comes to my thinking. You know, um, bodily, I'm different than, than most men. And women, right? Well, women, of course. But, but bodily, I'm different. You know, I have a physical allergy, a different reaction than normal people have to alcohol. And I get that. You know, it's like once I start, uh, there, was, there was a couple times where I would stop. And, the, you know, the handcuffs that I talked about earlier might have been involved or the, the parents or the, you know, whatever else, you know, could have physically stood in my way from me putting more alcohol, you know, down my gullet. Uh, that, that was how it worked. You know, there wasn't many, there weren't many times where, it was a, a conscious decision to say, now nah, that's enough, right? Anybody, yeah, I mean, hats off to you if you can do that. I could not do that for the life of me, and I wanted to at times. Um, I knew I was physically different. Uh, my body is different somehow. Um, but mentally, uh, there's something about alcohol where my will is incredibly weak, right? I'm incredibly selfish and dishonest, unusually in some ways, uh, when it comes to alcohol. Most normal people don't necessarily have using dreams all the time, you know? I, I would encourage you to ask, you know, your family. If you're wondering about this, you know, ask your family or people that you know that are not alcoholics. Ask them if they ever have using dreams. I have not met one person that has. Um, or wakes up, like, petrified that they relapsed again. <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's the best one. Uh, so anyway... Uh, Knowing I was alcoholic and, and knowing that there was something different about me and that I couldn't safely drink alcohol again, um, that didn't help with the obsession necessarily. The, the obsession that, you know, uh, I want, you know I want to, I'm thinking about drinking, I'm dreaming about drinking, I'm, um, you know, I'm, uh, everything in my mind for, for quite a while was, was still obsessed with alcohol, was still obsessed with this, this thing that I used to fix every situation that, that cropped up in my life. Of course, I'm still going to be thinking about it, you know? Um, but getting to the point where I didn't think that I was going to be able to drink like a normal person again someday was another story. And that's what Alcoholics Anonymous can offer initially for me. Um, and it did. And it, that, that's something that has changed in my life. Um, I know today that I can't drink safely ever again. doesn't mean that I'm not going to. 
just doesn't it means that I can't right um, and the next few steps after that are gonna like tell me how to do something about it right I need to do something about that or I will drink again um, I believe it's in uh, either chapter two or chapter three it talks about uh, that this uh, this this willpower you know we're missing willpower we're, we're lacking in it um, has to come from a higher power you know there's something in my mind that just doesn't it doesn't work right you know, and not that I'm like any dumber than most people, maybe some people, but um, not that I'm, you know, any more, uh, you know, weak minded in other respects. But like I said, when it comes to alcohol and the outside issues, like there's just something about it, man, that I can't figure out. And I don't at this point care to. Um, but I have to have some kind of higher power. And, and w- what I can say is that if, uh, if you think that this program is going to like, you know, not talk about God, um, you might be wrong at some point. It, it does talk about this higher power thing. And I'm not going to define that God for you. I'm not going to tell you what it should or shouldn't look like. Um, and even the word God is, is absolutely interchangeable. It talks about that. Um, but for me, I'll call it God out of convenience, right? It's really short. It doesn't take very long to say. Um, and, and for me, uh, you know, I didn't necessarily, you know, understand why initially. When I got into AA, I didn't understand why I needed a higher power to fix my problem. But I started to develop that knowledge after I started working through inventory. You know, it's like the steps, I worked them in order with the sponsor in terms of reading through the book. But the experience came as I worked them, right? And the knowledge that started to to kind of grow came as I worked the steps. Um, And so at some point, I developed hope, right? I thought that maybe this thing could too work for me. You know, it could work for all of you guys. You guys have your, your lives together. Why, why can't it work for me? I really want it to work for me. I don't know if it could, but God, I hope it can. And then at some point, um, shortly after that, I made a decision uh, to turn my will and my life over to whatever the hell is out there. Pardon my, my language. Uh, whatever is out there, honestly, um, you know, I, I didn't really believe in God when I got sober. You know, I wasn't an atheist. You know, I, I read through the part in Bill's story where he talks about that. I read through We Agnostics, and no, I didn't think I was an atheist. I, I wasn't really sure, you know, that I could claim that much. But, you know, as far as uh, getting specific, um, you know, I had at times tried to, like, have conversations with religious people, like, very specifically to change their minds, right? Um, you know, and, 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 and at that point, I'd, I had kind of failed, you know? Like, someone with faith and conviction, it's very difficult to break that up from them, you know? Um, and, and so I wasn't exactly sure what this whole higher power thing was about. But I started praying. I started taking action, physically taking action. I started praying the third step prayer, right? I would say the, the, the serenity prayer sometimes in a mantra when, like, shit just wasn't going well. Anybody done that? It kind of works, you know? Um, and, and what started to happen, whether or not it was because God physically intervened in my life or is because I started to let God intervene in my life or is because I started putting God in my mind before myself, um, my attitude started to change a little bit. And all of a sudden, this idea of, like, holding the door for somebody wasn't repulsive. You know, very honestly, I mean, I, I was not a, a selfless being when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. And, but, but slowly, this attitude in me started to change. Um, really, the big thing, the big, the big uh, catalyst for, for uh, removing that mental obsession came when I did my fourth and fifth step, though. I started to know a higher power. The really big thing, you know, and people talk about this, you know, when they come in, right, is that the fourth and fifth step are super daunting. It's like you have to write this huge list and you have to share it with another human being. And, oh, and then the eighth step and the ninth step, that's even worse. You know, you have to, like, fix it. You have to say I'm sorry. You know, it's what you hear all the time from people. And, and uh, But the fourth and fifth step, 
they changed my life in a way I can't, I can't ever, ever, ever take back, right? Uh, it talks about in the book that the, uh, you know, those steps are the, the keystone through which, uh, of the arch through which we pass to freedom, right? A keystone meaning it relieves the, you know, I don't know the physics of it necessarily. I'm not going to try to explain that. But, um, you know, it basically takes pressure off of and, and, and work off of the rest of the, the parts of this arch, right? And so when I have, um, you know, fa- no, is it faith? It might be faith. Jamie says it's faith. We're going to go with faith. Anyway, um, so the big thing for me, the fourth and fifth step allowed me to start to see the truth about myself. You know, that alcoholism is a, a disease of perception. Does anybody not believe that? All right. Um, it's a disease of perception. There's something about my perception. I don't see the truth unless it's like literally written down and, you know, gone through this kind of prayer and, and, uh, and you know, fourth column or, or whatever column process. And the fourth step is really, really effective at getting me to see the truth. Um, you know, my first, fourth, and fifth, like I said earlier, it was, uh, you know, it was mostly first, second, and third column, which you can do when you're drinking. A lot of us have done those three columns while we're drinking. You know, it affects me. It, this, this person sucks because, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is, doesn't, doesn't even matter. Um, but really the big thing started to change in, in, the, in the fourth step, in the fifth step, when I, when I got to the my mistakes portion of it. And another really big thing was when I started looking at the fears list. Um, I didn't know I had fear when I got sober. I felt fear. I felt a lot of stuff um, that I didn't know was fear. But, but I, I don't think it's a, a common practice for alcoholics, you know, in their cups to, like, look at their fears. I, you know, I don't see why that would help, you know, at that point. It, you know, it wouldn't seem like a good idea to me, and I didn't think I necessarily had it. Um, but the way I did it with the sponsor, I, I wrote down all those fears, no matter how funny or stupid or whatever. They were the things that were actually real to me at that point. And we went through that list, and... Um, I was able to start praying about those things, and especially uh, when I started looking at how those fears affect other people, um, I was able to start praying for how I could start to outgrow that fear. And like it says in the book, I started to outgrow fear. I started to feel differently because of that. Um, so I got through with my first, fourth, and fifth, and I went and, and I, I sat down in a park uh, by where I grew up, and I meditated for an hour, which is what my sponsor had suggested. And, and uh, I wondered if I left anything out. I didn't think that I had at that point. Like I said, it was as honest as I could be at the time. Um, and I said, you know, and I, and I went through the 6th and 7th. I read through the 6th the and 7th and the 12 and 12, and then I moved on. And, um, you know, that was, that was okay at the moment. You know, uh, what, what I can say is I've worked through the steps with a couple different sponsors um, for a reason. You know, I didn't work through them once, and I didn't do it perfectly, and I wasn't able to be, per, you know, perfectly honest the first time. Um, I also know that uh, that's my experience. You know, that, might, that experience might kill somebody else. But for me, for some reason or another, um, I was able to have a second chance at working the steps. And so uh, anyway, I get through the, you know, get up to the eighth, eighth and ninth step, and I started making amends. I made financial amends right away and family amends. And, um, you know, that experience they talk about in, in the book, um, you know, where, where it talks about the promises, uh, you know, the financial insecurity started to go away. And the... Um, a, a big thing for me was I started like not fearing going to places that I knew I knew people at. Does that make sense? Like there's a lot of places that I would avoid for quite a while. I just would not go there because I knew who I was going to see, or I had a, you know a pretty good chance of seeing that person. And and what eventually started to happen is I started to not feel afraid of seeing people anymore, and I started to not feel afraid of people anymore. 
And that's a big deal um, for somebody that is a very afraid person, a very self-centered and selfish person, to not be afraid of other people. You know, I started to, uh, in the fourth and fifth, start you know, feeling like an equal, and then I started to act like an equal in the ninth step. I started to actually take accountability and not apologize. I don't really think I said I'm sorry to any person that I made amends to in that first round of amends. I was told that I can't, which is not necessarily a strong motivator for me, but it, like, for some reason, didn't come up. Um, you know, I got to say that I was wrong. Like, I acted wrongly. I acted in a certain way, and what would you have me do? You know, that, that was a, a big thing. And, and avoiding that whole process of saying I'm sorry for something, um, I think is quite refreshing for people that have heard it too many times. You know, people understand when I have motives that are not necessarily correct. You know, I don't give them credit sometimes where it's due. Most people aren't as dumb as I think they are. I'm not saying that I think everybody's dumb, but at times, you know, it's, I definitely have acted that way. Um, and so I started to outgrow fear in, in, in fear of people. And um, so I got to the 10th step uh, when I was about, I think I was like maybe nine or 10 months sober. And at that point, uh, up, up until that point, I guess I should say, uh, I started getting involved in service like pretty early on. Um, I had a sponsor that was really about like going to detoxes and going to treatment centers and if you get asked how much sobriety time you have, maybe you lie once in a while. And that I wouldn't necessarily say to do that, but um, but I you know I would do that sometimes. And and uh, I'm not going to say whether that's right or wrong. That's part of my experience. I would lie about how much time how much time I had so I could go and speak at treatment centers. And then the people would find out eventually anyway because they'd hear my story, the, the texts and whatnot. So, um, but anyway. Uh, I started going to a lot of these places, and we have, we have quite a few treatment centers in Minnesota. Anybody heard of that, the land of 10,000 treatment centers? It's, it's kind of a big deal for us. Um, we have a lot of sober houses and a lot of uh, sober living programs and all that stuff. And so there's, there's a plethora of opportunities. And what I can say is that getting started um, sharing my story or sharing my little bit of experience of working the steps, whatever step I was on, um, with people at detoxes and saying, like, I'm still sober. I worked through a fourth and fifth, and I'm still sober. And better yet, I feel a little bit better. I feel a little differently. I think a little differently. Um, was something that I, I definitely cherished, you know. And what I, what I can also say is that uh, if you go to a detox clinic and you don't feel more grateful that you're sober after going and being able to leave and not having all of the, the chaos and the, the, the trauma and all that stuff going on that the people that are in there have um, – I can't understand that, you know, like every single time I would leave a place like that, uh, I would feel differently and I would feel grateful that I was, I was lucky enough to have made it in, you know, and I think that's where it started. So, um, that's, that's a practice that I, I had continued, uh, pretty, pretty often. Um, so I started, uh, raising my hand to sponsor men, right? Cause that's the next logical step when you've sort of worked the steps and, you know, uh, kind of, you know, kind of done some stuff and, but, but while, this, while this is going on, I continued to work the steps, too. Uh, but I started uh, raising my hand to sponsor men, you know. And, um, and a couple of guys asked me, and, I, you know, I started, started bringing guys through the book exactly the way my sponsor had, had done that. And I had this attitude of kind of like, like, maybe I'll save this guy, you know. Maybe I'll save this one. This guy needs saving, you know. And um, it talks about that in, in the book. And I think it's actually in uh, – one of the the forewords actually, where Bill would uh, would be would bring people into his home, right? Uh, and it talks about that later in the book too, where we don't let people stay in our homes for longer you know long periods of time. But it would cause uh, 
you know, domestic issues and stuff like that. And, and I had this kind of like, got to save, got to save people. And, and uh, it's been described to me that that's kind of how, you know, it's kind of how AA started. The big thing was that those guys didn't necessarily stay sober. You know, and I don't know if it was through a fault of mine or it was through a fault of theirs or, you know, they weren't willing, they weren't ready, whatever it was, but I stayed sober. It talks about that in the beginning of the book, in the foreword. It says that, um, you know, like, or in, maybe it was in uh, Doctor's Opinion or something, but, you know, Bill would work with these alcoholics, you know, and they wouldn't stay sober. He found that only he was staying sober, but he was staying sober, you know, um, and for me, that, that was big, you know, um, the rate at which guys that will call, you know, there's, there's a joke going on, and I think it's in the grapevine that says, uh, um, what's the best way to get somebody to not call you again? And, uh, you, know, ask, you know, tell them you're going to sponsor them or something like that. Does, does that make sense? It's, I think it's funny. I think it's hilarious. Guys, you know, sometimes guys don't call. And, uh, but the, the few that, that started to uh, and that followed through on the steps made me work the steps differently. Um, I don't like being a hypocrite, but I, but I can be, you know, and, and what, what I started doing was uh, I would notice that I was falling short in certain ways, you know, and, and I, I'm a believer of the fact that, like, I'm, I'm a little, little piece in this stuff, right? I'm making a very, very, very small impression or a small dent, um, and, and I pray that and I hope that, that a higher power out there or whatever it is kind of picks up the slack, you know. Um, I believe that that's the case based on the evidence that I've seen. It's like if, if it was just me helping people, um, <laughs> tough shit, you know, it wouldn't work too well. Um, but I, I believe that a higher power works, works in us and, and, and definitely is, uh, is present in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and outside the rooms as well. Um, so I, I started sponsoring guys and, and I brought some guys through the steps and I think they saved my life more than I ever did theirs. You know, you hear that from your sponsor if you, if you, you know, ever talked about that, you know, and, but I started working the steps differently and, and I started to have more God experiences, more higher power experiences where my mind and my uh, will were somehow aligned differently than they normally were. Um, what started to happen eventually is, uh, you know, I started working with more guys. I started getting asked to be a part of other experiences. And then this really cool thing happened in Minnesota where they, uh, a bunch of alcoholics started this, uh, this Minnesota Young People in AA, uh, the first, what became the first successful host committee. And it was at this guy's house, and, and I heard about it, and I, I spelled it wrong. I spelled it M-I-N-N-Y-P-A-W, mini-paw, is how, is how you know, it was commonly misspelled um, through, like, text messages and stuff. But I got to go to this thing, and I, I got involved. I had been involved in some service stuff at that point, and so I offered to be uh, helpful. And I got involved in the first mini-paw host committee that became a conference, and it was super rad. And uh, at the end of that almost at the end of it, I had to leave that host committee um, for other reasons, uh, but, but I... It was sad. It was so sad. <laughs> that was perfect, perfect time. There was a couple other, you know, things that would have worked for, you know, but that was good. Uh, so anyway, uh, I got to be a part of this, this host committee. Um, it was one of the most incredible experiences I ever had. And because of getting involved in that host committee, I found out what YPAW actually is, right? Um, that there's a lot of YPAW conferences, like in Indiana. Where's Indiana, right? Where's Indiana from Minnesota? You know, it's like 10 hours away. Oh, that's really not that far. I could think I could drive there. Um, that kind of thing started to happen. So I started going to YPAW events. And I started getting in contact with YPAWs on, uh, you know, social media sites. And I started getting 
phone calls and started, you know, outreaching and all this stuff. And I started to meet all these people and, you know, it crawled out of the woodwork. I didn't know that this is actually something that could go on. We had young people AA meetings, but not a conference, not with like two dances in the weekend, you know, not with like, uh, you know, a speaker that maybe had a few years sober and, and, uh, you know, was closer to my age and, you know, all this stuff. It was really, it was really incredible. Um, and so I'm really grateful I got to be a part of that that, that experience. Um, during the end of that that host committee uh, process, uh, some stuff happened. Uh, this isn't hopefully going to set anybody else apart. Uh, hopefully uh, it'll wrap around in the end. It'll it'll explain itself. I'll have some meaning to it. Um, but my mother passed away. Uh, I'd been living with my mother. I, I had started school, and I would live with her in the summers and stuff. Uh, but my, my mother passed away, uh, and uh, it was like the first real big horrible, hard-to-deal-with thing that happened in my sobriety, right? Um, and I remember I got a phone call uh, on uh, on this Thursday morning uh, from my stepma who uh, had got a call from my brother who, who had to deal with this first, my younger brother. Um, and she said, I'm coming to pick you up. You know, this happened. And, and uh, you know, I was, I was crushed initially, right? And uh, not 10 minutes after I walked out of the door, I see another alcoholic, you know, and I share what's, you know, what's going on. I shared with him exactly what happened and where I'm going. I'm going to, to my mother's house to be with my family. And uh, so I, I spent the first, you know, 10 minutes of my day, other than that phone conversation with an alcoholic, talking about it, get, kind of getting accountable or whatever, just like letting him know, like, I'm not okay, right? Like, of any things going on, I'm not okay. And so um, now I, uh, I, I go to my, my mom's house and I, and I deal with some stuff. There's you know, police involved, and there's all sorts of, uh, you know, legal stuff you have to go through, and, and, and family comes, and people need to talk, and wh- whatever, and that night, I, I had the opportunity to, uh, to go speak at a detox clinic, <laughs> right? Um, what I was taught, at least, is that, that I know, at least, is uh, this program works in really rough going, and sometimes it's really rough going. Sometimes it's not that rough going, you know, but sometimes it's, it's really rough going, and, uh, and it works for that. You know, I, I went... Uh, I went to this uh, 1800 Chicago is our like our our detox that, that I lived by, and I got to go share my story with some people. And I shared that experience. You know, it wasn't like I I could necessarily lie about it at that point. Um, and then the next day, I uh, I did the same thing. You know, not the same one, but uh, you know, I, I stayed involved for a time. And I and I, what I can say is that uh, I don't necessarily have the tools initially to like deal with this kind of stuff. You know, but what I what I do know is where I need to go to find out. Um, there's a seat with, not with my name on it, but where I belong in any AA meeting, um, where I can bring up any issue basically, uh, as long as it, you know, kind of relates to my alcoholism generally. Um, (laughs) but I can bring up that stuff, you know, and, and, uh, and I get to be honest and it's, turns out it's okay if I'm honest. It's actually really helpful if I'm honest. There's other people in the rooms that have had pretty much every experience I can think of. Um, so anyway, uh, about two weeks after that, some other stuff happened. I had a friend pass away. Um, and then I, I stayed involved in service for a few months and, and whatnot. And, and, uh, and then I kind of started to rest, you know, I, uh, it was a few months after my mother had passed and I, and I, I kind of was like, all right, I need time for myself. Um, not effective guys. It's not effective. Um, and what happened is, is I started to get sick. Uh, I, got, I got really sick. And I got to the point uh, over the course of, of about eight months where I was, uh, I was going to 
I was going to commitments and I was angry, you know, and I was, I was, uh, I was talking to new alcoholics and I was angry, you know, and I, there was basically no situation where I wasn't angry about something, you know, um, there were some other, some other things that had happened during this time that, that kind of complicated it. There were some resentments that started to build. And I did, not, I did not deal with those. I didn't deal with those. And so I got to the point at the end of this nine months, and I'm ready at this point to, uh, to either drink, right, which is a, an option that, that I, I know what happens when I drink, right? Eventually alcohol stops getting me loaded like I need it to. And, okay, so that's maybe not the best option. And, and uh you know, I could, I could kill myself. That seems like a decent option at that point. Um, I got to the point where I, I mean, I was, I was physically and emotionally and spiritually so unsettled that I didn't know what I was going to do. And I started thinking that AA wasn't going to work for it. It's a horrible place to be when the program of, of, of action that I have is like not working, right? That it doesn't work anymore. Uh, I found out that's not the case. You know, it turns out that, that there's certain things that I need to do they're a part of this program of action that when I forget those things for a long enough period of time when I don't take accountability and I don't look at myself and I don't look for truth in a situation I start to forget that I need to and I start to think that drinking or suicide or whatever it is is like the best option right which is not exactly a, a good place to be and so uh, I was approached by a, a, a guy that I didn't even know and he, he didn't know what was going on in my life I was sitting outside of this coffee shop in downtown Minneapolis smoking a bunch of cigarettes and drinking coffee and just pissed off and all this stuff and he comes up to me he's like hey what's going on and uh, I was like nothing you know nothing I'm just sitting around I'm just like sick and angry and all this stuff and and this guy had had no idea like I said what was going on and uh, he invited me to go do inventory at this guy's house you know and and uh, there's this there's a strong uh, fourth and fifth step workshop that goes on in Minneapolis constantly throughout the year it's called the Rick and Bob show uh, has anybody heard of that? Nobody. Okay. Well, uh, if you're ever in Minneapolis and you want to do a fourth and fifth step uh, workshop, it's incredible. It's really incredible. Anyway, uh, this guy that, that is part of this, uh, you know, he took me through the inventory again. And and like I said before, I, I worked as a, a fourth and fifth step, but that mistakes portion, that fourth column, that, you know, centimeter and a half that I gave myself to write on that page about what I actually did in, in the situation – um, that became a little bit more powerful, you know, and I, and I, I started doing this and I started writing at this guy's house and the stuff started pouring out and I had one name and one cause and it, what it affected, maybe one or two things. And I flipped that page over and I started writing, you know, and for some reason when I prayed and I went through this process again, it renewed this, uh, this ability to see the truth. And it really, really worked this time. Um, and not only did I not think about suicide after that experience, not only did I not think about drinking as an option after that experience, I saw the truth, and I saw that there's a whole lot of work I still needed to do. And there's a whole lot of work that I still want to do. Um, there's been times, I, I think, for me, that where I've, I've, uh, I've been in love with AA, right? Like, there's this, like, this thing about why pause where it's like this romantic, there's this romantic thing for me about, and I don't mean this in, like, a creepy way, I promise you, <laughs> like romance at, at a, uh, a YPAW, right? It's, there's something about the way YPAW works where it's, it's like we're, we're fired up. People are so excited because I, I think it's a very accurate reaction to what's going on, right? It's that we are the lucky ones to be here, you know? I didn't live through, you know, 30, 40, 50 years of drinking. 
I didn't have that experience. I got exposed to Alcoholics Anonymous at a young age without a huge number of consequences that I thought I needed to have. And I was handed, literally handed, a toolbox and a tool set and said, here, go to work. Your life will change. At a young age. You know? And, uh, and there's a lot of people that are going through that same thing. Um, I love Alcoholics Anonymous. It's changed. It's changed me in ways I, I physically can't like. I just I can't describe it. You know, I, uh, there's been there's been times when I've I've uh, you know sat in awe, sat in silence because there's like nothing to say. There's nothing to describe that experience that I had. You know, whether it's a a twelve step call or it's a you know a meeting that I go to. You know, or it's a whatever it is in in this program. There's something about it that just. You know, it, it works for, for whatever whatever I am. It, it's it's designed and it works so well for me. Um, so the last thing, uh, one second. Um, the last thing I, I kind of want to touch on really quick, uh, or one of the last things really quick, um, is uh, so there's a few things that 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 I know about about AA as far as uh, the resources and when I got involved in in. Uh, uh, general service. I got involved in intergroup when I first got sober. I had like a year sober and I was an intergroup rep for a while. Um, and I started like kind of paying attention to this, this stuff where there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk in AA meetings about like, we call them outside issues. Some people say, nah, screw it. Don't call it an outside issue. It's a, you know, it's drugs. It's whatever it is. It doesn't matter. Uh, and that's not my point. My point is, is, um, there's a lot of literature out there that AA has approved. It's actually really useful. Um, which I don't particularly love reading pamphlets, but there are pamphlets that I have needed to read. There's a young person's pamphlet. Um, there's in the back of the fourth edition of the book, after all the really good stories and after the, uh, the 12 concepts, which are super fun to read, but I would encourage reading them actually seriously. Um, there's a, a list of AA pamphlets that, they've, that uh, uh, the office in New York has, uh, has approved, right? And there's a whole bunch of them. And... Uh, there's been people that I've known that have needed to read those. That you know, it's because of one detail or another in their lives. It's like AA is not accessible, right? And I've thought that I was a young person getting sober. I'm so young still. I know that. I know that, right? Um, but AA is accessible, and for me at this point, it's very accessible. The, the reality is, is that it doesn't matter, right? As you guys know, it doesn't matter how old you are, if you're an alcoholic or not. It doesn't matter what you look like or what you know, town you grew up in or how much money you don't or have or, you know, don't have or whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It physically does not matter what you look like and, and all of those details. It, alcohol, alcoholism doesn't care. It doesn't matter, right? AA is the same way, which I, I didn't understand at first, and I, and I feel like I finally understand and appreciate that. There's been work that has been done in Alcoholics Anonymous for a long time to make it that way. You know, like there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of like disagreements. Right. And and uh, greater AA has voted and made sure that a lot of this stuff gets printed out and gets and gets taken care of. Um, And so what I would do is encourage you, if you're wondering if this is for you, um, if this can work, if there's something about you that you think is terminally unique or different. And I'm saying that with a a little bit of not sarcasm, the terminally unique thing. Right. Like because you belong here if you are. Um, you know, specifically, if there's something that you think pre- is preventing you from, from being able to access this, um, if, it's not, if you haven't heard about it yet, ask. And if nobody else has heard about it, bring it up. You know, there's, there's ways to get in contact with AA that that, that has made um, 
it's been like the catalyst for, for making changes in the literature that gets printed and the ways that AA can be accessible. Um, to everybody that's new, um, I guess the only thing I can say is welcome home. You know, this, is, this has become a, a home, you know, my home at, at home is actually away from home in, in some ways, right? Um, I'm actually not from here either. Uh, so, so anyway, but, but anybody that's new, I, I'm really glad that you're here. Um, it's really cool when they do the, uh, the having the, the people with the, the most sobriety giving the people with the least sobriety uh, big books. Um, they said, read this thing. This is a textbook, not a novel, not a, a, a science fiction. Uh, it's not a comic book. It's literally meant to be studied, you know. And, and throughout the years, um, there's been more lines that have been put down in this thing. This is not my first book, but there's been more lines that have been put down. There's been more notes. There's been more history lessons that you learn. It starts to become fun eventually. Careful with that. It might be too fun for you. Um, but this thing is meant is, is meant for me, you know. It's meant for me. There's Basically, any question that I can have about how I can live my life as an alcoholic can be answered by this book. There's actually personal stories which I relate to a lot in the back. Um, the one thing I want to impart on, on, on anybody that, that may wonder about this is, is uh, there's no point in my sobriety where this, ha- this gets to stop. Um, I've had a lot of friends that have like had the the relapse part of their story. Um, I, I haven't relapsed in this sobriety, right? I didn't know really what AA was about before I got sober, but I definitely was not staying sober consistently, right? Um, so you call it relapse, call it keep drinking. I don't care, you know. But um, but what I can say is that the, the people that I know that go back out, they stop. They stop doing this. This, you know, the, the honest truth is that if I'm alcoholic. Um, the sad day may come where I'm going to get drunk again, right? Unless something changes. Problem is, I got to keep that change up. I've heard people throughout the weekend say this thing where it's, um, what is it? It's, uh, you know, you can't stay sober on, on yesterday's spiritual experience. You have to keep doing this one day at a time. Each day starts over. And that day doesn't start at 12 o'clock. It doesn't start at, at noon or at midnight. It starts whenever the hell you need it to. It starts whenever, you know, no matter where you are, you can make, uh, you can make a beginning, right? It says that. Um, I'm really grateful to be here. I'm really grateful to be a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous to have uh, gotten so lucky to be here with you guys this weekend. Um, thank you so much for letting me share. Pass.